All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And we are back. What do you guys think? Did you guys see the or see and or hear the episode last week with Willem Amadon talking about decoding Dakar? I'm actually recording this in succession. Full disclosure, just hung up the phone with him. But you guys will be hearing this episode a week later on the podcast. So how's everybody doing? Are we ready? We're talking to none other than West Car 2023, 24, 2024 Dakar Rally entrant. And we're going to be talking about his journey in 2023 to make it happen for 24. Very interesting stuff. It is not as easy as you think. If you guys are following along with the decoding Dakar side of things, you know a little bit more about it and that you can't just swipe a credit card and be on the plane to Saudi. You got to go through the process. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that process coming up here in just a few minutes with Wes Carr. Find out a little bit more about his story. So let's get ready to get him on the line and get it going. Don't forget Rally One coming up if you guys have not already heard it. Let's see here. Let's get technology queued up. What do you guys think about the new intro song? I like it. Just saying. Let's see. That is that one. There we go. Hello, this is Wes. Wes, how are you, sir? I am well. How are you? <laughs> Doing very well. It's a uh, it's a Friday, and the coffee is working. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I uh, I can be thankful for Friday. Also, uh, I've had a very tough uh, time getting engaged and getting back to work uh, this week. I was gonna. That was gonna be my first question because I think it's like. Uh, I mean, you did this. It was this. There's this like little rally that they do, right? <laughs> Right. It's a tiny little thing in Saudi Arabia. You just buzz over there, rip around and come home. Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. Yeah. That's my, my understanding too, but it's like a 15 day rip across, you know, 5,000 miles, but you know, whatever <laughs> details. Uh, it's a lot to look back on, to be honest. I've kind of like, you know, spent a bunch of the week just, yeah, watching some highlight videos and reading, you know, some podcasts and going through some of this stuff and hearing what people have to say about it all. Because, uh, you know, we don't even have phone service a bunch of the time there and yeah. obviously super short on energy. And uh, I'm not a I'm not a big social. Well, I have no social media, to, to be honest. I have Snapchat because my kids told me to get it. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I uh, a caveman, you might say, when it comes to. Uh, to some of that stuff so i have to do it when i get home with a with a computer yeah and so that it, you know that's an actually interesting thing from what you hear in the podcast and also i mean obviously it's uh, just the coverage that you've seen i i feel like it's it does has nothing like the two don't line up there's so much more to it than than what actually could get covered right yeah so you know, I, I, I'm not a podcast guy either, let's say, but, uh, 
um, Quinn Cody and uh, I can't remember the yeah. other guy. Yeah, with, Jesse. Uh, Jesse Ziegler. Yeah. So, you know, those guys, I started listening to their stuff and I'm not even, I don't think I'm even to stage three because I, uh, but you know, uh, the coverage of it in America is really, really small. Uh, I think there's more interest than there is coverage, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's still, I've been added to a couple of group WhatsApp chats and a few email uh, lists, you know, of people that are share like interests in, in rally. And it's a super small amount of people in America, man. It's uh it's, it's tiny. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, it's tiny and it's growing, but if, yeah. if it's tiny now, <laughs> it was really bad a, a year, two years ago. For yeah. sure. sure. But I, I still, I think that there's a lot of people out there that will, would, will, don't know about it. They would super dig into this sport. Like, I think there's a ton of potential with uh, some of the train we have. Uh, geez, everywhere in the U.S., there's just awesome train everywhere. Now, land use is going to be an issue, but, um, you know, you don't have to have 8,000-kilometer races either. Yeah, exactly. Dude, that you you so just hit it on the head. That's my thing. It's like a lot of the rallies, and 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 granted, they have their place, right? People want to go race in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. They want to go race. You know, they want to go race for a week-long thing, but we also want to do a couple of days, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, maybe only do a hundred miles a day, you know, of road book and, and just some shorter stuff. So I did hundred percent with what you just said, you know, it, yeah. not everything's got to be a big, big event. Well, you know, the other, you know, Abu Dhabi desert challenge, Sonora, Morocco, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like you were being invited there and they were happy that you came and there wasn't the big numbers. Yeah. It was a big feel for a lot of press and everything felt good, Mm -hmm. but like I did get the feel that they were trying to kill us every minute of every day. Like I did in Dakar. I mean, that's a, (laughs) I didn't know that going in there. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not saying that in a, in a, in a mean or derogatory way at all, but like, It's full on. It was more than I expected. And, uh, it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of racing going on. There was quite a bit of survival. Yeah. <laughs> that was more the, uh, it was the survival than more the survival than racing. So well, like, yeah, had a lot of things to live for and a lot of obligations at home. And, uh, yeah, you know, once I had a lot of good mornings, once the cars come around you and start kind of, changing the track and you know there's more cars coming and uh dust and you name it it just it just kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit uh, after that point kind of each morning i'm a morning guy anyway so like okay. i uh yeah i had a lot of a lot of fun uh, for the first 100 150k special each day and uh and uh yeah back to that word survival just had to be really careful yeah. uh after that 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 switch from from thriving to survival mode yeah (laughs) it kind of happens so you you make a bunch of promises to a bunch of people when you go sign up for something like this so like to be true to what i you know i i kind of told some people i'd be careful and i had to i had to do that yeah well and i mean it i i honestly think that for the vast majority of us that the, or at least my view, my personal view is that the Dakar is not, it's, it's a rally race, but I think that 
90% of people there aren't there to race, compete for the podium. It's just mm -hmm. the ability to say, I completed every stage yeah, and so I made it to the end. Obviously, the GP guys are getting paid to race. Yes, they, they <laughs> very much so. <laughs> but, you know, the real wild competitors are the top of rally, too, uh, looking for a ride. Those guys are, you know, they're they're super talented, mm -hmm. but they're they're pushing themselves. Uh, they're pushing themselves as hard as anybody there. Yeah. And. Uh, you just, you know, nobody got, there's a bunch of injuries, but nobody got, uh, that, that, that was pretty impressive how resilient that group is. The top of rally two is wild men. Yeah. Yeah. I can. And I mean, I can see that. That's very true. You know, is there, they're obviously they're being looked at by the teams, you know, they understand they're already, you know, well on their way to becoming paid to, to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that is a very, it, it's it is you're right it's a very difficult position you know they have to be sending it like these guys up front you know in the rally gp class i mean they were mixing it up with them i mean we were seeing yeah. we saw rally two guys in the top 10 overall dicing with these guys so it's uh so yeah. it was, and i know a few of those guys you know you get to know a lot of people doing this and actually that was that's been a real real fun for me to be i don't know you know, I'm American through and through. I've done some traveling for vacation and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But like to go to these different countries and, and get to touch these different cultures and ah, it's just a blast and meet all these great people. And let's, let's be honest, everybody that's there is kind of extremely like-minded. I mean, you have to be a, a little bit twisted to do rally and, <laughs> and you have to be a little bit twisted to follow it and support it. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's even worldwide. It's a very small people group of people that would want to compete like this. Yeah. So, so what you're telling me is, is you're going to hand me a piece of paper with a bunch of hieroglyphics on it. And then you're going to want me to go navigate this for 15 days in a row. Yeah. That's the, that's the fun part. And that's the part that even when you're getting past and the, and the trails challenging, Mm -hmm. It's the one thing you can do awesome and, uh, and, you know, and, and do it safely. Mm -hmm. Um, now I didn't, I got some penalties. I mean, I'm, ash I'm ashamed of it, but at the same time I accepted those penalties. Uh, you know, I hit, I hit the green button to hit. Okay. To uh, pass those waypoints. Cause I was either completely out of energy and talent or, or I felt like I was just not safe to head back in towards traffic, uh, and, 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 and risk it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's a very, it, you know, there's like Ross said, it was uh, 10,000 to win it and one to throw it away. And yeah, to go, go back on your tracks. If you're not exactly sure where that waypoint is, if you thought you were on track, I mean, there, there's a lot of decisions that, that have to be made. Um, and, and you don't know when that decision is coming besides you know, the navigation. Another, yeah. Uh, another thing about the navigation and, yeah. uh, you know, you, if you're on the bike, like, you know, the, the GP guys, you know, my hat's off to them, tons of respect. They do it consistently and they don't get hurt very often. And, you know, they're on the bike a lot less than a guy like me. I mean, this is, a this is quite a load for, uh, you know, somebody that's slow and being careful to be on the bike between, you know, I think the one day I was on the bike 14 hours mm -hmm. and, and that's, that 
when you're looking at these computers and you're trying to do a good job with your road book because you know your speed sucks and you want to stay tight on that, I mean, pretty soon I there's times I wasn't understanding what I clearly understand and my brain's just not working right. I mean, it's time to get off this bike no matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, there was some of that for sure. And uh, you know, when it goes to collecting that waypoint, okay, it looks like it's trying to achieve the next one. Why is it not doing this and that? And pretty soon you're like a little confused even. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. Maybe it's my low ability, but man, I got to the point where I didn't understand simple things a few times. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I can say I, I've only, my roadbook experience is limited, but I've always been on the organization and administration side of it. And I've seen it both in tracking, you know, following, following racers with the rally comp. And, mm-hmm. and watching the decisions that are being made on waypoints and how they'll circle around or go through different canyons or, you know, the, the, up, the, the tracking updates every few minutes, right? So it's like uh, one update cycle, the bike's over here up this canyon and then the next one it's over here on this one and they're just playing like hide and go seek with this waypoint. And, and then, you know, you talk to the rider when they come in, hey, how are you feeling and all that stuff? And you just see it in their eyes and their, you know, their demeanor. It's like, dude, they're, they're not blowing bubbles. But yeah. if I ask them what two plus two right now is, the answer is going to be interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the riding follows that same uh, talent tank. And so, I mean, this is hard stuff to talk about, but like the amount of crashes and uh, injuries sustained in the, in the last little bit of stages, I mean, we learned that day too the hard way, but like after the after that serious crash and and ended up really really sad. But you know there were three more significant crashes between that moment that I went by there mm-hmm. and the end of stage. And I, I I'm I'm just going to throw this out there as a number: fifteen, maybe twenty kilometers from the end of the race, there were three more serious. Well, what I would call serious crashes. Yeah. yeah. And that just told me like, this is day two, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, old man, what are you doing here? You're really going to have to protect yourself if you've got any chance of getting to the end. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, realize I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's like I, in, in the events I say, you know, when, it, when everybody's home, meaning when everybody's at the bivouac, that's, you know, when tracking shuts down and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's interesting that they draw that line. They say most accidents happen when you're only just a few miles from home. Yeah, right. And I, and I, and in this case, I mean, I guess it applies to rally too, based on, you know, what you're saying is, is that, you know, it's always that last stretch, right? I guess people let their guard down a little bit, you know, maybe pushing a little harder. They already, I mean, you have the countdown in front of you, you know, that you're, you know, running out of road book and man, that is, so this is a, so this is, let's go all the way back. How did, how did you even get started on this adventure? Well, I was wondering how far you wanted me to go back. I feel like most of the listeners, I'll just, you know, most of our guys that listen to this podcast, they're here because they are getting into rally. They've had a little bit of rally experience, but really, honestly, the most majority are like, how do I even get into this? What, what's the story? Because everybody, it's like Microsoft Excel. I was literally just talking to Willem Abinant about it. Microsoft Excel, everybody knows a different feature. Nobody knows how to use the whole program. So everybody's experience on how they got into rally is a little different. Uh, for 10 years, I've been going to figure out how to use uh, Excel. 
<laughs> oh, maybe 20 years to be honest. And I still haven't done it. I don't I, know. Right there with you, dude. I have no, <laughs> yeah. and then somebody goes like, Oh, just do control all, you know, semi cold. Mm-hmm. What? No, just do it. For so me. <laughs> let's see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm 47 years old and, uh, I had bikes, uh, first bike when I was like seven or eight years old, had a bunch of different bikes up to the point where I bought a new one in, uh, when I was 16, two stroke thing and banged around on that, never raced it. Um, thought I was going to get hurt on that, sold it for a street bike, you know, kind of had that for a while. thought I was going to get hurt on that, got married. Um, I think when I got married, I knew I wanted a dirt bike to like commute back and forth to work and mess around, you know, in Minnesota, we have you know, a lot of agriculture. So there's tons of gravel roads, kind of like mile by mile grid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no features, just a lot of miles of gravel roads. Yeah. And so I brought a, uh, I had for the longest time an 036, uh, XR650L mm-hmm. and that, I didn't put a ton of miles on it, but I had a lot of fun on it and, uh, you know, worked really, really good when my children were young. I mean, at one point I had my two younger children in front of me on that thing and my oldest daughter behind uh, me with a backpack full of drinks and snacks. And, uh, you know, we, (laughs) we did little adventures on that with, uh, you might say, uh, less than a one-year-old child on the, on the front and a, in a, and a six or seven year old girl in the back and another one in front of me, uh, in the middle of that. So it was, um, it was, it was awesome. I had that for a long time. And then we go to 2016 now, probably back up just a second. I got the kids into bikes right away. XR 50. actually we had a, a Honda three wheeler. I think that was a 70 still have it. Of course I still have all this stuff, but, um, you know, the kids, the, the dirt bike with training wheels was easier to ride than the three wheeler because it was a, is a twist throttle versus a thumb throttle. It was wow. harder for them to push the thumb throttle than it was for them with a helmet on. Uh, all they had to do was kind of lean gravity would take over with the helmet and they would, their wrist would go down against the, the throttle stop on the XR 50 and they would start to move. Yeah. So pretty soon, uh, you know, they're, like one year old and they realize that if they lean their head to the right, they move and they go and pretty soon they're chasing you around the yard on this thing. And it, it's just awesome. But, and then it was, you know, seventies, nineties, one tens, one twenty fives, two thirties, and then got good stuff like, uh, like a beta one twenty five, uh, you know, RR. And then my son, uh, I think he clapped out, uh, for a 2014 350, um, EXC, you know, KTM stuff, some good, good stuff at the end, but, um, yeah, a lot of little bikes in the middle there and tons of fun. So now we'll jump to 2016. I'm in Arkansas with some friends riding street mm-hmm. and I still have this, this, this same XR, uh, 650L and, uh, we're riding street and grabbing a burger and all of a sudden like a hundred dirt bikes come by and somebody swings in and they're having problems and we're pretty handy and we're helping them and got to ask him, you know, what are you guys doing? And, and, uh, they say, well, we're doing this thing called the Arkansas 500. So whatever, 
we ask a few questions, help this person with some fuel issues and, and get them going. And, and uh, one of the guys I'm with, he says, well, I guess I know what I'm doing next spring. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's kind of where it settled on the way home from that road biking trip from Arkansas. He's like, well, I said, if I'm going to do this trip with you, you know, I'm, I'm not riding that heavy. Barely <laughs> handles the gravel roads, let alone if you get into some sand or anything else. And uh, yeah. I, I literally stopped on my way home and put a new uh, a 2016 500 EXTF in the, in the trailer. And like, I was just all in right there. So that's kind of the restart mm-hmm. of two uh, in in my life. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, that would have been roughly uh, seven or eight years ago, however you do the math there. And <clears throat> that's uh, where the two-wheeling all started. Uh, so then to touch on that for a bit, I did some of those adventure-type rides like uh, like the Arkansas 500, the Minnesota 300. Um, I went from a GPS cabin ride from San Diego to Cabo. I think I did a couple other ones like that. And uh, then I got down to Arkansas again with some friends mm-hmm. that I'd rode both road bike with. And then, you know, kind of went around the national forest down there some more. And then they had heard or known about a few of these trails that got a little tougher. And, you know, it was in a few trips there in probably 17 or 18 where I just totally fell in love with this this kind of difficult single track stuff so we're talking really low speeds low impact you know a lot of get offs and a few crashes but like not a lot of risk with those crashes as far as you know serious crashes um and uh started just pounding the pounding the single track and then did a bunch of that um i don't know went to wyoming colorado idaho you name it, there's a bunch of stuff in northern Minnesota by Walker mm-hmm. that was kind of all single. There was a bunch of designated single there, and it was challenging. It is challenging. Yeah. I got my kids up there a bunch, and uh, yeah, you know, my 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 oldest two are our daughters, and, and yeah, I put them through the ringer up there, and we just had a lot of fun with the single track thing. And, yeah. Nice. The girls got older and got a little less interested. Obviously, I would do that differently. I, I wouldn't throw them into the rough single track stuff again if I was, if I had the ability to go back and do that, I would have been a better father. We would have done. Not, not that, throw them into that rough. <laughs> yeah. They'll be riding with them now instead of, you know, they learned a lot and they still talk about it and they know they learned a lot from learning how to crash and and uh, doing things that you think you can't do, it's all good. But, um, yeah, so that kind of gets us probably to about COVID. Mm-hmm. And then COVID, uh, by then I'd, I owned a, we owned a little piece of property with a cool cabin up on a bluff above a, up above a, a lake or a, whatever you want to call it where five rivers join and it goes into the Arkansas river. It was just this cool little piece of property. And we trailered out of there and went and rode these other kind of single track areas. And, and some, there was some true track areas there too, but uh, did that. I don't know. The kids, the girls kind of probably lost an interest there. Anyway, I end up at home. Mm-hmm. They're at going to school and I end up there too much. And I ended up getting a, 
connected with uh, somehow with Lyndon Paskett's Races to Places. Yeah. And that is where it all started. It all took off from that 15-minute little episodes of him traveling the world. Mm-hmm. And the story, and then the people that he met, and his other friends, and the African Eco Race, and the Dakars, and the, you know the other international races that he did and, and you know it's just just the stories and the groups and the camaraderie and all that stuff and pretty soon I'm running around the house telling my kids you know I'm a desert racer and I know it I just have to get out of this I, I just have to figure out how to do this mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah so lots of jokes still laughing today uh, internally at our house about uh, you know me running around watching these silly videos they're great videos but uh and me being silly running around telling them i'm a desert racer and blah 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 so that's how the that's how the the fire gets uh lots of oxygen and starts to really flame up and then i think it was towards the end of linden's where he was kind of with camilla and trying to settle down and figure out how to you know do something different without all this travel and he come out him and frederick came out with those you know ride with us mm-hmm. training stuff and i think i was one of the very first people to respond and apply to do that like i got the email like right at sunday night supper with my family and i literally stopped what i was doing filled it out because i was like in my head i'm like well these things are going to fill up fast if there's other nerds like me out there that want to get into this and and this is a heck of an opportunity so i just jumped right on it and it was that within a day or two i'm talking to lyndon basket uh on the phone about uh about getting over there getting over to spain or portugal or wherever uh, to do this stuff and yeah. this is a cute, cute fact is the day i finished dakar mm-hmm. my daughter snapped me an old snap memory she had of three years ago today my dad is got us on the side of the road so we keep cell service and he's talking to some famous youtuber about dirt bikes <laughs> so i mean that's an ironic three years to the day from when i talked to Lyndon the first time i finished that car that's pretty cool yeah dude that is it, i mean <laughs> i wonder how many dakar graduates uh Lyndon has you know that, that followed your process yeah no there's uh there's probably a small number but like if you think about how many, how few touches he actually has on society versus how many people does Dakar, it's a pretty high ratio. Mm-hmm. So like, um, yeah, I know of a few and, uh, you know, even the people that didn't really get strained from Lyndon, he touched a lot of people with those videos. And I just think that, you know, his positive attitude and the way he presented those and maybe the COVID era and some of that stuff, it just really hit good. But yeah, nice. so I try to get over to Spain and Portugal a couple different times, and we just can't travel with COVID. And anyway, finally, I believe it is, well, I know it is in March of 2022, it works, and I get to Spain, and this is all happening. And um, yeah, very challenging, heavier bike than I'm used to. Um, you know, we had super cold, rainy. We even rode in the snow on that trip. We had uh, we had a 
lot of interesting uh, weather conditions there. And we had, uh, yeah, just uh, a good group and a lot of learning. You know, I, I had learned the whatever 85 symbols that I needed to do to read the road book and had my wife as a teacher made flashcards for me. So the kids went through them with me every night and, you know, just did all the things and got myself, you know, a little bit physically healthy for that training. And, and, uh, it was awesome. Fell in love with it. By the end of that training, the end of that week, mm-hmm. it came up. Lyndon said, well, we're doing this Hellas rally thing. Do you have any interest in that Hellas rally in Greece? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm super interested, but like, uh, I need to talk to my family and my wife was like, yeah, whatever. So like in five minutes, I made the decision whether I was going to go to Hellas or not. And I knew that before I even left Spain in, uh, in March. So went back over the pond in, uh, in June to Hellas and that was competitive, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much you want me to talk about Lyndon's training, but he no, was no. hard. He, he was like, I remember finishing, getting through a challenging area and then, he was there waiting for me on the trail and he's like, good job, Wes. Uh, nice work. You got here, but you didn't do it perfect. He said, you're ahead of the guys. Uh, we need to keep the group together anyway. He said, why don't you just go back there 10 kilometers and do it right this time? <laughs> I was like, you know, I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing bubbles. And he's like, yeah, just go back. Just jog back 10 miles or 10 K. I remember looking at him like, you know, <laughs> That's that's great, dude. But like, I'm paying for this experience, and it said I could, uh, you know, just do what I wanted to do on this. And he's like, "No, go do it." And I was like, "All right." So, you know, almost like a bit of a father figure at that moment, where he's like, "You know, if, go do it right and figure it out, do it better." And I was like, "All right." So, yeah. Anyway, we get to Hellas Rally in June, and uh, that's another. I don't know who else I knew. I don't think I knew any of the other guys on the team. Yeah. Maybe I did. Maybe I knew, maybe I knew a couple of guys. I don't know. I'd have to really go back and look at, you know, old stuff and figure out who was all where it's just been a lot of stuff in a couple of years is what I'm trying to get at here. Um, but, uh, or not even a couple of years, a year and a half, but, uh, Hellas was awesome. I loved the competitive part of it. Uh, those people were crazy there. They, I watched uh, no less than 25 people like really pile up in front of me, riding in the dust, crazy, terrible navigation. It was, it was a wild thing. So all I do is stay, stay in the, uh, in the cockpit and navigate. And, uh, you know, I finished pretty well for my second time ever reading road books and, and it being competitive. So I was really happy with that and learned a lot and, uh, yeah, had a, had a blast. Nice. And I've, and, and I've heard that the hell is rally is no joke terrain wise navigate, like exactly what you just said. I mean, especially the navigation side of it, but I've heard a lot of people don't like the, uh, the terrain side of it. Well, being don't like more difficult, <laughs> you know, I don't know what they're looking for, but, like one guy told me in the Dakar when we somebody was complaining and we were all, like you say, blowing bubbles. He's like, well, I guess we shouldn't be complaining. He said, we didn't we didn't spend all this money and come here for a haircut, did we? And <laughs> <laughs> the funny is, I don't remember the 
name, I can see his face. I, I, I could figure out who he was, but a really funny guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed Hellas Rally. And then from there, I wanted to get some sand experience. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think I was signed up for Portugal that fall, fall of uh, 22. And I think uh, Lyndon had like the right amount of guys to go. And I think he had a father and son signed up and they had a family emergency and another guy like shattered his elbow or something. So pretty soon a full crew goes down to, you know, less than he needs to make money doing this. So he, he had to cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he says, you know, sorry, Wes, blah, blah, blah. Come to Spain again. Uh, kind of the same thing and you'll have fun. And and it was true. I did have fun, but I kind of missed the competitive side of it. And, and Frederick and him, they put together some long stages and I did them myself. The one I remember finishing way into the dark um, and my, my light behind the roadbook paper, uh, failed. Oh. So they had like, I don't know, 150 kilometers in the dark with my, uh, I always keep a tail bag on me cause I'm an old man and I have to have the right tools. Right. So mm-hmm. I have a headlamp in that tail bag. I wrap it around my wrist and I'm, you know, riding and using my left wrist uh, with the light on there to show me the road book. And I wanted to complete that thing and do it, do it correctly. So, um, yeah, I remember like Lyndon was like, that's the kind of stuff. And that's the kind of people that finished Dakar right there, Wes. And I thought, well, that's all good. So good. And then it was on that trip. Like, I think, I think was my buddy Gareth Jones, I think he had decided that he was going to do Morocco and Dakar 2023 mm-hmm. at that point. And I was like, man, that sounds so cool. And I was on, yeah, so I was in Spain for the second time and uh, doing fine, but, you know, not missing the competitive side of it. And I was just like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take this to the next level. So I talked a bunch with Lyndon and, um, you know, he, uh, talking about who to, you know, find a team and who to go with. And he, he, uh, got me pointed in the right direction there and uh, got me hooked up with Hank Halligers with HD rally raid from the Netherlands. And <clears throat> that was an excellent decision, by the way, very nice from Lyndon and what, a, what an awesome, what an awesome guy and what an awesome program he has there. His son Tease is, you know, doing uh, a lot of the heavy lifting with the logistics and keeping things straight now. But, uh, that, I don't know if I'd be where I am today without getting hooked up for those guys, uh, with those guys. And, um, the first thing I did with them was, was Abu Dhabi desert challenge last February. So not even, uh, not even 12 months ago. Wow. And, I go over there a few days early, meet those guys, you know, literally on a whim. It just feels crazy not to, you know, have more details and know more about it and this and that. I go over there a couple of days early and they put me on an enduro bike and we go ride sand dunes um, just to get a feel for what like a sand dune feels like for a guy from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was awesome. Got some cool training there, and actually rode with uh, rode with uh, a guy, two guys on that trip 
there were three of us and a, and a gal, mm-hmm. but those three guys just finished uh, Dakar together. So that was like, that's, that's another cool fact there. But anyway, Pierre Sace and, uh, and Gonzi from Mongolia, um, it's us three in a tent in Abu Dhabi and not a one of us have the right amount of training or, or yeah, we are hanging on by a thread at the Abu Dhabi desert challenge. I literally just piecing it together. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was seriously dangerous for me in so many ways. Uh, I'm not going to say I was completely oblivious to like nutrition and hydration, but you might say that it was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing uh, from either aspect there. And I had no idea how to ride, you know, sand and how it changed through the day. Uh, luckily I had one thing going for me that I've, I've been a, a, a big mountain, Rocky mountain snowmobiler, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, mm-hmm. uh, for like 25 years. So reading sand dunes came relatively easy to me because it turns out the sand blows around a lot like the snow does in the mountains. So I kind of had that. I felt like I was confident enough to not uh, jump off broken dunes, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. But that didn't save my airbag from going on. No less, going off, no less than... I, I, th- I tell people 13 or 14 times on the, on the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge. So we're talking about that many airbag deployments. I mean, just think of how many get-offs and dropped bikes there were. It was, it was, it was, it was endless. It was really tough. Yeah. I knew for sure what day it was, but I was totally out of my mind. Couldn't believe I got to the end of, I think it was the marathon stage day. So do it day two or day three. And it was 110 degrees out. I didn't know what was going on. I remember having to walk like, I don't know, it felt like 100 or maybe 200 yards to get to the truck and got a Coca-Cola. Didn't really know. I couldn't really, wasn't making sense of anything. Knew I was in trouble. Knew my temperature was way too high. I had been, you know, way too hot. I was out of, uh, I was super thirsty. I was super hungry. Everything was wrong. I knew I needed help getting out of these clothes and then I needed to get some food and I needed to cool down. So like somehow, some way, and I think I had some help. I got to the showers and got chewing on something and drinking something on the way there. And I know that I, if you've ever been in one of these bivouac shower trailers, you know, I'm just going to get, they're like two and a half by two and a half little fiberglass bottom shower things kind of, I literally laid down in there and I'm, I'm, I'm six foot four, 220 pounds. And I laid down in there and had that water and I, and I slept, I was out for like 40 minutes and uh, yeah, kind of came, came out of that and realized how close I was. And I mean, got my got my poop in a group went right to the pasta tent and just started chewing food anything i could get my hands on nonstop, and um you know getting my hydration right and you know not so much water and you know needed more of the electrolytes and the salts and you know more of the good stuff and and less water flushing let's say yeah and uh 
figuring all that out. And, you know, by this time up to that point, you're so anxious, you're so nervous that, you know, sleep really doesn't come very easy laying in sand and having, I don't know what the bugs were. They could fly and they, you could, you could, uh, they would bury themselves in the sand. You could step on them and they would crawl out of the sand. They're a very tough little bug and they were a real menace at the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge. But anyway, uh, sleep came very difficult in the beginning and yeah. I, like I said, uh, whatever day I just described, <laughs> I had to get everything going a different direction or I wasn't going to make it. And uh, worked very hard to get things going, slept a lot, felt good the next day, um, pounded to, you know, eating so much in the morning that I was nearly sick. And then having some protein and stuff with me mm-hmm. through the and, you know, having more electrolytes with me so I didn't just have what I had in my in my, um, on my backpack or in my, I can't say the, the water. Oh like yeah. The, bladder. Yeah. The water bladder. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the three liters of water that was mixed with the right stuff I needed to at fuel stops, I needed to add, you know, more water and more electrolytes and stuff to that and, and keep drinking the right stuff all day long. And then as soon as I got off the bike from there, I, before I even showered, I went and grabbed food, mm-hmm. you know, before I even started my preparations and cleanup, uh, you know, I had to start eating and, and getting that right. And that really worked out. And I ended up being really satisfied with how, how the end of the Abu Dhabi desert challenge really, really, really got me motivated. And I, I knew if I lived through that and, and the people told me that too, you know, this is, this is very, very challenging. There's a lot of sand, a lot of heat, and that's why there's not quite as many people here as there are at some of these other rallies. And, uh, yeah. So I figured if I lived through that one, I could live through any of them. <laughs> like, well, this is the, this is the litmus test. So we either pass or fail on this one. Yeah. And, and I got, it's a great, it's a great memory and it, for me because like I just about failed, man. I, I, uh, laying in the shower and going out for at least 40 minutes that was something else that was that was the bottom of the rope man it was that was a that was a close one yeah yeah i mean i can i mean i can only imagine you know you just got nothing left in the tank and and having to go through all of that and and like i said i mean it sounds like it's one of those things that you it sneaks up on you yeah yeah like because you're used to well you're not used to it but knowing what i know now you're used to your talent tank running low your riding goes to shit and uh, then your ability to make good decisions starts to, you know, taper off quite quickly after, after, well, at the same time or right after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's almost a certain timing to it, you know? And yeah. if you don't recognize that, you know, you're in trouble. And that's back to racing these kids on these dirt bikes too. You know, I, I used to not assess their talent tanks correctly. And uh, I have a whole new respect for what I put them through uh, riding bikes and, <laughs> and uh, just done it differently. You know, they probably would still be doing it, but whatever. Um, talent tank and knowing when it's time to head to the truck uh, versus try another, another, another rip is a big deal. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, I mean, I think that that is a, on both physical and a mental level, I think that that is a, 
you know, it sounds like, you know, you pushed yourself out of your, out of your comfort zone, obviously, whether you knew you were doing it or not. And then, and then ultimately surviving that. So now the next thing, this was somebody that something that I had talked about, then that decision at the office, that decision at home that, you know, doesn't seem like such a big deal that it would have say maybe before this event, you know, or before that, that occurrence. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I've always been, you know, pretty hardcore guy and type a personality and, you know, we, I'm a, I have some business partners, but we have 140 or so employees. So, I mean, and a lot of customers and, you know, I'm kind of used to being a firefighter the way it is. So mm-hmm. like, I mean that, man, most people at these rallies have a similar, you know, they're, they're the same personality pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a commonality in that, you know, like you were saying earlier, <laughs> there's a certain level of, I don't know, that has to be present. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, uh, I always knew I like to push myself and, uh, both personally and business wise and from all the different aspects of life. And, uh, yeah, this was definitely challenging and to get on top of the Abu Dhabi desert challenge and get that, that medal was, that was, that was really special. Yeah. I can, I, I can hooked imagine. up with a team that I was super confident in and I knew if I wanted to go farther in this, like there was no question that I was with the right people. And, you know, I, I just had a lot of good things going on at the end of that. Good. Yeah. I mean, that is, and, and that's an interesting one that I was literally just talking to Willem is that how they're doing this. Like you have to do these events in order to be able to qualify to get in. You can't just, you know, swipe a card and send a resume and, you know, expect them to give you a, a, a start number. Yeah. The There'd be a lot of people getting hurt. If, uh, <laughs> if, if that was, because look at, I mean, it's, it's an expensive endeavor and, and, not only is it expensive, you have to still have these qualifications or, or get the invite. So it's, um, there's a reason that when you get towards the tail, the, the, the second half of the rally two guys, or even the second two thirds, mm-hmm. they got a certain age to them and they're, they're, uh, you know, they're out there to finish, not to, not to, not to race. They're pushing themselves for an unknown reason. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, everybody has like a a reason, the motivation. They're slightly different, but uh, circling back to you know what you said is yeah, is that there's there is that common. You have to have that mental fortitude to be able to do to take on an event at the Dakar. But without all of the road, you know, doing the previous rallies, doing the previous pushes, you know, going out and just riding and getting out of your comfort, you're never gonna know that. No, it, uh, you need to have that, you need to have that experience before you head to Dakar or that would be my recommendation. I don't think they should start letting people with big, uh, big black credit cards, uh, swipe them and go to the desert, uh, in the empty quarter and stuff. Cause people will not live through that. Yeah. When, and it will put, I mean, it's, it, it can put such a stress on the organization you know, mm-hmm. even, even if they do survive it, you know, it's just increasing. Anytime you increase the number of injuries, the number of lost riders, the number of that, any of that, you know, you start, you know, we, uh, we did the math and I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you counted it, but my understanding is they had you at your average stage length was about 400 miles 
including the liaison. So the the figure that for a two two to three hundred mile stage of special where they were actually racing, they had like six helicopters, five or six yeah. helicopters. Yeah, that's at least. I mean, I think in some of the bivouacs. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hey, super quick break in the episode. Let's talk about it. We have got the newsletter. If you have not signed up for that already, get on over to the link in the description, head on over to the website and get signed up. So looking to bring you guys information on both Chasing Waypoints upcoming episodes, rally schools, rally events coming up, videos, all the stuff that we've got going on in the rally community here in North America and abroad. We're looking to share that with you guys. So if you haven't already, jump on over. Link is in the description. Head on over to the website, get signed up for the newsletter, and let's get back to the episode. There were more than six helicopters, for sure, when you take uh, medical and, and press. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's no question there was more than that. One of the videos actually said how many, I think there was as many as 12 or 14 total yeah. that support the rally and, and an airplane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think somebody said... I don't, I've been watching a lot of stuff lately, so forgive my memory, but I think there was like 75 medical staff people. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, and that's why it costs so much to go. I mean, they, they, they do do a good job and you know, that's why they limit it to the amount of bikes. They, I don't know how many bikes and people that are just about qualified they could have there. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that want to go mm-hmm. uh, the amount of people that are there is what I'm saying. And, um, you know, let, let's be honest, these, <laughs> when you don't have a hundred and a five point racing harness on you and, and a, and a, and a helmet that's strapped to the, to the, to the roll cage, the chances of getting hurt when something goes wrong goes, uh, really, really, really high. Yeah. And, um, keeping track of all of us bikers, and and the quad guys that's a whole lot more work for the association than it is these these carts and 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 autos and and trucks yeah yeah very uh it's a very different story i mean i've uh i had the chance to share the uh the office the control office at sonora rally with one of the guys that uh that works on the tracking side and you know that what blew my mind is when he told me that they have there's a whole nother team that takes over once the stage is over and mm-hmm. the rally continues. There's a whole team that handles the guys that are still out there mm-hmm. from the previous day. And, and I'm going, wait, 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 that handles the, the competitors that are out there mm-hmm. this next day. I'm that's a thing. And it goes, yeah, I mean, breakdowns, whatever the thing is, is, bikes that need to be recovered things that need to come out of the desert that weren't supposed to be there and weren't there when we went through you know it's just like well the sonora rally was a little unique too because like i ended up in the national class i don't really know how and it doesn't really matter at this point because i mean i was doing that as a stepping stone to get my invite to Mm -hmm. dakar so i actually dnf'd in sonora rally uh, on an enduro bike uh, in the national class so a few things didn't go completely as planned there but it made a great stuff uh, um what was i what was the point i was trying to get to oh the gp guys mm-hmm. 
they had like, did they have different? Uh, yeah, I think they were using uh, ERTF, and we were using rally. the rally comp. Correct. Mm-hmm. So there was that that made for a lot of extra work at Sonora. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know now that Sonora is not you know part of the the WRC stuff if they're going to just be a hundred percent rally comp or how that's going to go down there in the future. But that's a, that's a great place for a rally. And I want to do that again in the future. And no matter what it is for, you know, control on that won't have any influence, but having just one control would have made that a lot easier for a, a lot of the, the administration. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, uh, so I, part of what I do is I administer the rally comp side of things and they, they will, like you said, they're, they're going to be going back to uh, rally comp. They have been rally comp for some time, but when the W2RC stuff stepped up their ERTF uh, based, so that's, that's the timing system. And it was interesting to see. And I, and really it was the guys on the, where we heard more of it from the cars was the, the tracks, the way that the ERTF captures a waypoint versus the rally comp, the rally comp is more, uh, is, is stickier with that. It has a tighter radius and yeah. we saw a lot of missed waypoints on the rally comp side of things because of people following the ERTF tracks. Yeah. I turned a lot down there. Yeah. And actually I trained myself. Uh, I got into a bad habit down there mm-hmm. of going away all the way to like 0.00 to get to the center because uh, I was sick of turning around. Well, then when I got to Morocco and again, a Dakar, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going all the way over and it's dangerous to cut across all those cut across tracks just to get to zero, zero, zero. I don't know how many, I was just yeah. wasting a ton of doing that, but I kind of got trained that way. Uh, so you're uh, you know, Mike Johnson. I happen to know Mike Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, well, everybody knows Mike Johnson. I know. <laughs> Do you, where did you meet him down at uh, Sonora, or is this a long story? Uh, it's not you a know story. He was a he was a friend to Lyndon. Oh yeah. And he, heard, uh, he was. Uh, oh gosh, he was with. Uh, I just remember him from Eco, the Eco race with Lyndon uh, over there, and yeah, so anyway, I got to know him because Lyndon had a rally bike in Texas at Mike's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, last spring of well, it would have been uh, March or so of 2023. Mm-hmm. I down. I had bought this bike from Lyndon a while ago and had the transaction done, but I hadn't been down to Texas to retrieve the bike because I wanted to make some time to go down there and ride it mm-hmm. down there. Uh, when I when I picked it up, so my son and I headed down there last spring for what Mike Johnson and uh, his buddy Mike Rosen uh, yeah. and guys, you know, they call it rally camp. Mm-hmm. So I actually got to have my my fourteen year old son. Uh, we rented a a five hundred one husky from I don't know somebody in New Mexico. You know him, I'm sure, Glade or Slade or oh, something. Yeah. Slade Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, anyway, he rented a 501 with a nav tower and stuff on it. My son rode that, and we uh, went and had a blast with Mike Johnson and his cronies down there. Nice. Uh, so that's how I got to meet him. And, yeah, actually, yeah, there's a there's a, a few more funny things to that story, but it was all good, and it's still all good. And, yeah, he's we've been texting back and forth, uh, you know, because he's still doing some rallies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Sonora, and 
went to another one right after that. I don't remember if it was Nora or if it was coast to coast or what it was, but, um, anyway, yeah. Uh, he's, since I got home from Dakar, he's, we've been messaging back and forth and he's a good guy. Nice. Yeah. We've, uh, we, I mean, we started working back in, uh, in Baja rally, uh, man, seven years ago, I think somewhere the twenties, 2016, I think was my first year at Baja rally. And, oh, then, wow. and then that was like right when the rally comp first kind of took over. So I've been working with him as it's, as it's evolved. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see that. And he just like, he nerds out on this stuff. It's cool. You know, he get, you know, obviously building a rally comp is not an easy thing, you know, to keep track of all of this stuff and all of the back end and to be able yeah. to make it happen. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, it was, it was pretty funny to see, you know, when you had guys in the national class that are used to ERTF, that's all they've ever ran because that's all they do. And then the rally comp is like, you know, tighter radiuses, more exacting, more, <laughs> you know, a lot of guys weren't happy about smaller it. Screen, smaller screen and a lot going on in there. I mean, he's yeah. got it all impact into a nice tight little unit there. But like, if you're used to the old school ERTF, mm-hmm. you know, I have two of them above my road book on my, most current rally bike and and uh, you know geez it's a lot easier to see at speed than than uh, the rally comp and if those guys have to kind of focus on it and don't know exactly where to look yeah it, it takes some time yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah there was a uh, yeah i i you know i enjoyed the i enjoyed like seeing the comparisons and and seeing how both systems work you know because they had their you know, their crew in there as well as me and, and, and watching the rally comp side of it. So it was good. The office was kind of split in two, but I was managing the assets, um, you know, helos and tracking on some of the, the staff vehicles and things like that. But it's really interesting to see those, those differences. And then here, you know, how, you know, you obviously you've ran it, you know, and you've got experience with both units and how they kind of function and go back and forth. And yeah. You have to spend time with them. <laughs> I know Lyndon uses them, but uh, and you know you really need to you need to be brave. It's I'm an old man, and you know you don't touch something because you're going to screw it up, right? So like you just have to start messing with it and know that it'll go back and, and be okay. And um, you know skipping a waypoint uh, or opening a waypoint sometimes, yeah, there's penalties, but sometimes it's stuff you need to do. Exactly. And that, and you know, that's a very good point. It's like the, it's the decision, like it's the decision making and weighing out all the options. And I guess that's where you, I guess that's where you maybe start to learn that you're slipping a little bit too far down that slope. You know, if you're getting tired, the decision making isn't easy, you know, or it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, that's definitely a, it's definitely an interesting point. There's a lot of brain power that goes into this. It's not just holding it wide open and hoping for the best. That's the smallest part about it, man. Most of the riding is natural. Like you'd be surprised. Now we're jumping all over the place, but you'd be surprised where my brain heads and the things that go through my head when I'm, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent focused on riding and navigation the whole time. Obviously it's, it's crazy where my brain takes me sometimes. And I haven't thought about my riding or body position or pitching the bike or any of that stuff for many, many kilometers. And it's like, gosh, how do you, how do you, you you wouldn't be able to tell somebody that you can ride that natural. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. And I, and, and one of my, my next question is going to be about, you know, like, all right, for the new guy getting into this, but what you just said is really interesting. It's, it's one of those things where the, 
like it's 50 50, right? Jimmy Lewis has been quoted saying that, you know, you're either riding or you're navigating, you know, you're either racing or you're navigating. And it's interesting to get into that sweet spot where you're no longer thinking about riding, right? You're no longer thinking about surviving the terrain. You're just doing, you know, it's like when you first learn to ride a dirt bike, you know, that you, you stop looking at the front wheel. <laughs> three, three ups, man. Look up, stand up and shift up. It's, uh, <laughs> I've coached a lot of kids, man. And, and, uh, and I coached myself through the whole Dakar because it was just taking too long to get through this train. I'm just picking through every rock and, I mean, I'm, I didn't think I would ever have to coach myself that much again, but you're exactly right, man. You get beat down on confidence a little bit, and pretty soon you're looking at every stone, and uh, oh, my God, it takes forever. Yeah. And um, once you start, you tell yourself you have to trust the process. Look up, identify those hazards in the turn, and quickly start looking at the next curve. Mm-hmm. You have to do this so you're going to be out here all damn day and night. Yeah. And soon it worked even in the third day and it worked on the on the last day you have to look up and ride otherwise you're going to be out of Ottawa. you're going to be out of uh, energy way too soon well yeah 10, 10 kilometers is going to feel like 100 oh gosh know. yeah just to survive it so i mean just to kind of you know wrap it up but what knowing what you know now right? The knowing what you know now question, getting back into rally and like, if you were okay, I'm, I'm curious about it. What would you like, what would be your path? Would you do anything different? Would you want to do more of a certain something? I mean, what's the, well, I think having some sand experience before you go to hobby would extremely beneficial. Yeah. Uh, granted, I, ran the Baja a couple times, uh, not the Baja race, but I, I've been in sand, mm-hmm. um, never, never big dunes like that. I didn't, you know, dunes in, I believe Utah and Oklahoma and stuff that I probably should have done, um, first before all that. But, uh, that's probably the only thing I'd probably change with my path. Um, I liked, I liked how condensed my path was, I mean, it really happened fast. So like getting healthy physically and, and, uh, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go through any big ups and downs there where I stopped working out for a while. And, you know, I just, I kind of stuck with it and, and kept having the races and, um, yeah, I, I liked, I like I liked my path. Uh, I, I think I would recommend that to, to people. I don't know, you know, not everybody's going to have the, have the ability to take that much time off work in a, in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, has the funds to, to start writing those checks or wiring that money in a year and a half. So, I mean, I get the reasons why that wouldn't work for people, mm-hmm. but you know, I didn't spend any energy you know, fundraising and doing some of the other things you, you hear the stories from some of these other guys and man, they put a lot of work into just getting to the start line, like way more than me. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I admire that. I mean, that's a, that's a real passion. You know, I like to ride bikes and I got nerded out on the navigation. It's all good. So let's go do it. Mm-hmm. But these guys are like, they're motocrossers or enduro guys and they just love riding bikes and, and, uh, they need help to, to fund some of their dreams. And, 
man, that, that'd be, that'd be a more difficult path than I took. Yeah. But I mean, that's, but there is a, uh, I'm in looking at it at the high level side of it is your path was going, I mean, going out and participating in rides that used road books, you know, and then just get that practice going. And then from there, it just, it just grows. And yeah. I mean, I, you know, and it, it, that's a really interesting one. And I, my, my thought is, is that and I talked about this with Willem is, is that when you start talking rally, the first name, there's a much bigger majority of people that are going to recognize the name, the Dakar rally, even though oh, yeah. it's small, but it seems like, you know, you we're starting to say this more is that you're, you are judged by, you know, well, did you do the Dakar? Did you finish the Dakar? But personally, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, I could do 10 races for the cost of one Dakar. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I don't mean this in any negative or snobby way at all, but you know, I, I won't be doing the Dakar again unless something changes, you know, chemically in my brain. But like, <laughs> yeah. There's a million ways to die there, and uh, you know that type of physical and, and mental fortitude is is uh, that's a that's whole that's a whole next level stuff. Yeah. And you know, sleeping in the truck, not having communication every night with the rest of the world, um, you know, the food, you, you name it. That duration is where's people. That's that's a whole different level. Yeah. I, I would imagine you come back another person. I mean, after experiencing something like that, you know, I kind of felt, I kind of felt like I came back a little numb and, and honestly, you know, some of my muscle bands are still numb. I, I, uh, you know, there's, there's some, there's some physical things too, but like I seriously tried to stay extremely focused and I got a big faith and I really, really dig my big family and all that stuff. So like I had a, big support group behind me, let's say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I needed all of that to get through. And I, I only got emotional in a good way one time. And I totally squashed it right out. Like a big bully. I was like, we are, we don't have time for this shit, Wes. And, uh, and you need to, uh, start navigating and, and, and start looking up and here we go. And, uh, I just, uh, I actually am having a lot of fun. Um, what do they call that? Uh, debriefing mm -hmm. now that I'm home and realizing kind of what I've done. I didn't even realize how I didn't realize I was the only the 38th American to ever finish a Dakar rally yeah. until Kyle sent me the email. It's like, I would have never, I didn't do that research. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty cool statistic for, uh, for a guy from Minnesota that just, thought it'd be fun to learn road books and, and run these races. Yeah. When, when you were getting started, did you think, uh, the Dakar was in the next, within the next three years? No, no, not at all. <laughs> if somebody would no. have told you, you would, <laughs> I, I couldn't say it like that because I actually, you know, my path is Spain, Hellas in Spain. And at my second Spain trip, which was October of 22 is when I kind of like, man, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do this. So like I probably did think early early on that you know I needed to do Abu Dhabi to start getting these international races so I could get looked at. I think I I think I probably did have that desire, yeah. you know, at, 
at, at, at the end of Abu Dhabi desert challenge, I was like, let's, let's do this. Yeah. If this is the, like, if this is my, if this is the very edge of my comfort zone and mm -hmm. I do not like what I'm riding here, but yet I'm here on the other end of it, then let's go. <laughs> well, I think, you know, what Hank told me is if you can do this for two weeks, you can do Dakar yeah. and you know, it, probably didn't hit me right away, but I was like, you bet. But you know, the, um, the Morocco, I, I got lucky enough to get my invite right before I left for Morocco. Okay. So that, that was a real treat to be honest. Cause then I could stop and help some people and I could just, you know, I could really do what I wanted at Morocco. And that was, that was enjoyable. I was going to say, I can only imagine the feeling, right? It's like, if all you you know, you're doing this because you're trying to qualify and get into that. And then all of a sudden the word comes down and now it's like, I, I could, I can imagine the weight off your shoulders on that. Uh, I, I have it, I have it, uh, magnetically held to a whiteboard here. I got the email from, uh, from the Dakar people, uh, July 21st, uh, that I was congratulations. Your application was accepted. And uh, that was a heck of a good feeling, man. Uh, that was awesome. And Morocco was just easier because of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, I can imagine. I mean, now, now you're really, like, I have to make it to the finish. You know, I have to do this. I have, you, know, you don't. You don't. And now you're just doing it for the pleasure. I did have to make it to the finish for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Did not have to make it to the finish in a certain time frame. I had to make it there, though. That's yeah. really the kind of guy I am, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So no, no one finished about. business. Yeah, that's right. And that's why, gosh, <laughs> days before I left for Dakar, well, here's, here's another cute story. So I didn't want anybody on my team to suffer any more than they had to, let's say mm -hmm. because of ridiculous stuff I'm doing. So I, we always go somewhere with the kids, um, over Christmas vacation. Cause you know, my daughter's in college and my other one's about graduating. So, um, and my 15 year old son, but we head to Mexico on the 26th of December. Mm -hmm. Um, and I fly back to Minneapolis on the 31st with my family. My kids head back home my wife and i are in a hotel room for new year's eve and uh and i grab different bags and organize my bags again and i go to the airport on the first and she goes home so i was gone for four weeks from from reality yeah. uh you know so i got to get plenty of rest and tons of food, a bunch of beers and, and, and stuff. But I did work out a bunch down in Mexico and I kept myself where I needed to be. And had, I think helpfully I was able to get myself in the right mindset for Dakar too. Yeah. I mean that. Like, and what I mean by that is I probably got myself pretty damn scared. Yeah. How, like, what do you, how, what do you mean? Tell me about that. Well, yeah, just the wondering if I if I could do it. I mean, I'll just talk about a specific moment. I think I was scared a bunch of the time down in Mexico and not really talking about it that much. Mm -hmm. But like, it was just my wife and I, and I got a late checkout on uh, 
January 1st from my hotel because I didn't fly out till 4.30. So I kind of wanted to stay there until like, you know, one o'clock, let's say. And uh, so she, we were just laying on this hotel bed, uh, just talking and uh, saying our goodbyes. And like, I was seriously shitting my pants, scared at that point, just about the time and and the time away and uh, everything it just really hit me hard there when i had to say goodbye to her and and uh you know it was just a few days before that one of my daughters said well dad what happens if you don't uh finish and i remember it just stopped me in my tracks and it's like i haven't spent 20 seconds thinking about that to this point <laughs> yeah I, I literally hadn't spent uh, uh any time thinking about the what if i if i didn't succeed yeah i mean i don't get me wrong when i started this adventure i went and doubled down on disability insurance and put millions more dollars on my life insurance and did all the right things that way but i'd never thought about not succeeding mm-hmm. so it's just that's another crazy probably personal or you know personality characteristic of people that do this stuff yeah well, you know, and that's something very like there's been I've I've been lucky to have conversation with so many, you know, great people. And and that right that what you're saying, like as you're saying and I'm thinking that I'm going, you know, that is the difference in the mentality of, of a lot of people. You know, if you're an overthinker, you at some point that if you if you were more of an overthinker, you know, that conversation of, well, what happens if I would have happened early on? And the problem is, is with a lot of people that have that conversation with themselves of what if I don't succeed or what if I don't finish? And then they just say, well, well, screw it. I don't have to go. I don't, you know, I could just bow out now and not, you know, but making it so far down the line, literally days before leaving. And that being the first time where that even comes into like hardcore consideration. The other stuff was just the, the, the details, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the insurance and the, you know, th- that's just details, but that doesn't have to mean that the, the thought of actually having to tap out and take a flight home while everybody's still participating. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, we were, we were eight, eight bikes, I think. I think we were eight bikes and uh, one guy like ripped a tendon off a muscle or something in his shoulder and then Artis, the world uh, rally three world champion, um, that Aussie Austrian guy, uh, you know, I got to know him really well. He was, I did two races with, I did Sonora and Dakar with him mm-hmm. and, um, he wiped out early and put a big old road rash cut thing on his uh, bottom of his forearm, let's say. And then, and then he got that under control for a couple of days and then he crashed and popped a, um, uh, popped his shoulder out of place and, you yeah. know, just dislocated his shoulder and did some serious damage and, you know, that officially scared the shit out of himself there and, mm-hmm. and couldn't got told by the medical people. And I believe they were correct that if, you know, he could maybe ride, but if he, would land on that shoulder again there would be significant future problems yeah and um he just was so cool about it man he was both those guys were really cool about like not making it to the end uh i, I was impressed by both gwen and artith on how they handled that mm-hmm. coming from 
guy that hadn't even given any consideration before he left. But, um, and then there was Fabi in the, from Argentina on my team. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the guys and we could talk for a long time again, more. I don't know how much time you have or whatever, but, um, Fabian from Argentina, um, we did Morocco together and he, uh, he got stuck in the chrono stage in the sand, like nine kilometers from me. <laughs> it was so sad. Cause we, Gonzi and I got there, I got there and then got set up and then Gonzi came and I was just, we were just praying for, for Fabian to come cause we knew he was coming and, and then, you know, sun went down and then the sun was down for a while. We're done eating. Finally, we go down to the organization and we try to figure out where he is. And, and he's literally like, as a crow flies, like only nine or 10 kilometers away. Oh. So we know he's in the desert and it's sadly, and that's just a sad story because he was, he was so upset with himself because if he would have just stopped trying to get out of the desert in the dark, you know, he could have easily survived the night. Many people did and, and drove out the next morning. Piece of cake, right? Yeah. Well, he kept forcing it and forcing it and forcing it. Fried his clutch, uh, smoked his battery from trying to get it running with no clutch, let's say, and, uh, and then drugged the bike around enough to fill the motor up with sand, I think, through the exhaust pipe. So super sad story, and he was so upset with himself because he, know, he knew better, and he just wasn't prepared to spend the night. He thought he could make it out. He knew he was close to the, you know, he knew he was only so many kilometers away, and, there's just a lot of contributing factors to the reason that it is the way it is with his story. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, it took him a, it took him a couple, I think his bike, the, when they put the new motor in there, there was something wrong with the new motor. So I think he took a day or a day or two off. And then, you know, that ended up being a beautiful story. Yes. The whole time, even at the very end, he was upset that he didn't complete the task, but he did get back on that horse and he did ride it. And he is up to the challenge of doing it again until he succeeds. So, um, it ended up being fine, but to watch him go through that pain. Yeah. Yeah. That was devastating for him. And, uh, you know, even at the very end, there was the what if or, or the, but, you know, and it's just so sad, but he, he, he got his uh, poop in a group after the, all that bad stuff happened. And he put down some good times and, uh, and had some good times. It was, it was, I would say as positive as it could have been. Yeah, exactly. Not, not the ideal situation. Obviously that wasn't the ideal result, but right. the result that did, re- did <laughs> the result that did result from that was, yeah. You know, it's it's a story and it's motivation and and I mean mm-hmm. at the other end the idea of like I, I can imagine you know you're done that's it I don't want to get back on you can get yourself so far down a hole that you don't even want to start the bike you don't even want to hear a bike run right. you know that's not I am totally just uh, wanting to get my work life in order and I want to go do some snowmobiling and with my son I want to go to the keys and, and sit in the sun. I want to get this thing rolling again, but I've had a hard time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine what it's, you know, two weeks of total, like just uh, yeah. grind, you know, yeah. it's, that's the, you know. Oh yeah. Well, well like awesome. it's, it's, it takes its toll on a family too. Uh, it, 
yeah, when everybody's prepared for the worst, that's a that's a that's a tough conversation. I I mean, there's a reason why these GP guys and and some of them do have you know families and they're you know this and that, but like us old guys that are running in the back of the pack. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices and a lot of uh, tough conversations to be able to go do what we do or what we did, let's say. And uh, I admire everybody's family and their work and all the sacrifices made by all the people for these few selfish people to go do what they have to do for an unknown reason. I I mean, I still don't know why the hell I had to, to do all this. Yeah. That, where the drive, where the, like, you know, this seems like a good idea. I, I, it seems, it seems insane. How would you talk your wife into being fine with that? I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I wish I had like some story or some passionate thing that made me, you know, want to pick this particular mental and physical challenge, but there's nothing there, man. It's just, I, I don't know. I guess I, I, I like taking the harder path, you know, like I'm a bow hunter, right? So like, you, you know, yeah, anybody can go hunting with a gun and have great success, but going to kill something with a, with a, with a bow and arrow is like, it's like five times as difficult. Right. Yeah. And that's the path that I choose. I don't, I don't even understand myself, Victor. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's the wiring, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, that's easy. <laughs> it's the wiring. And, and, you know, like anything human, there is no tech support because the guys in tech support, the doctors, you know, like they said, it's a practice. <laughs> so they don't I, even know. <laughs> I think you're right. It's the wires. I think some people have less wires and I don't mean that in a negative way, but like, I think when you have as many things firing in my crazy head, uh, like it's too active, right? It's just too, there's just too many thoughts and that's why I have sleep problems and other things, you know, it's just, it's just who you are. And, uh, I don't know if you had less wires, there would be less, uh, chances that they would have to touch your arc, let's say, and, mm-hmm. and these chaos, uh, is this, 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 this need for this type of interaction. Yeah. But I mean, if it wasn't the, if that was the case and everybody was wired the same, we were, you know, the empires yeah. would look a little differently. And I think about you're, you're, you're from America, right? I mean, yeah. you, you're from California. So you, you think about mental health and, and, uh, and substance abuse and other addictions that are going on in, uh, in, in the U S mm-hmm. but I just, that's what I know the best. Right. But like, there's a lot of problems, man. And, uh, I, I don't know if this is as bad as it gets for me where I have to do this and I'm not uh, addicted to anything other than work, let's say, and I don't have any of these other menaces pestering my life and my family and my business. I think everybody had to just let me go and do this. Yeah. Yeah. We we're, we're doing okay. We've, you know, we've gone this far with these decisions. So at this point, you know, why, why change it? You know, it, we're, we're at where we're at. And I mean, you yeah, at some point you just got to say, you know, I know I can do this. I, I know I, I don't know I can do this, but I know I can. One of the last things I remember from my like 94 year old grandpa mm-hmm. was 
I don't know why we were playing. He's big card players. So we we're playing cards and so much bullshit. We just gave him so much shit all the time. Cause I have a huge, I have like 36 first cousins on one side. Ooh. So a bunch of us, you know, playing cards and bullshit. Yeah. And he said, we, we were talking about something, uh, the group of us were, and he's like, Oh, Wes, you be careful. Your nature, you're a risk taker by nature, and that can be really scary sometimes. I don't, you need to know that you're a risk taker and you need to, you know, calculate that. And, <laughs> and just, I don't know why that sticks out when we talk about this damn dirt bike stuff, but it, it does. It, it's something I remember. And now, of course, I'm trying to find a new passion, and I'm thinking like these, these, um, short takeoff, short landing, uh, bush plane these little planes oh yeah i think that sounds so fun <laughs> <laughs> you only got five feet yeah we're going to land this here <laughs> yeah. but I hear my grandpa's voice going you got to know your limits you're a risk taker so you have to work within the parameters and it's like oh shit so now i i need to give my family and my my work team a break from wes's <laughs> from wes's adventures <laughs> yeah taking a break <laughs> Everybody needs a break. Yeah, I hear you. I hear well, we didn't get a chance to talk about Morocco, and we didn't really hit a lot on Zachar. I don't know how much time you have left, but you, uh, I'm good on time if you have more questions. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I mean, well, we can uh, we could do another episode. We'll move it down the road, and because there's we have. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stories, and there's again, the people want to know about. Uh, you know what it's like racing some of these things uh something that we can do and i mean i'll, I'll announce it now is that I'm, I'm working on rally profiles so this okay. is something that you know I, I would love to have your feedback and your stories on too is that you know all these different rallies that exist you know and getting like okay this is what the tv shows you this is the real thing like who was going to know about these bugs in the sand you know at abu dhabi <laughs> that you had to deal with you know, well, and, or was it Morocco? It was Abu Dhabi. And then yeah. have, having my, uh, Gansi be, uh, he's a Buddhist. So like, uh, this is a cute story. It'll only take a minute. Yeah. So he can't stop hearts. It's against his religion. And so we're a team in this tent, right? And we're, I'm, um, I'm a hunter and I'm a problem solver. So I'm like, I'm trying to bait these damn bugs outside of the tent. So I got these bait stations set up. I'm trying different things with lights and, um, and trying to figure out how I can get these things away from my ears and my mouth. And, you know, uh, I'm trying to find solutions. Right. And, yeah. and so I tell these guys, anytime somebody gets up, the bait was kind of working. I'm like, anytime somebody gets up in the middle of the night to take a, to, to, to take a piss, I said, you, you take a big heavy shoe or whatever you can find or your, your, your boot. And we got to, I think the only thing that's going to work is we just got to lower the numbers. We're going to have to kill them yeah. when we, and, uh, and <laughs> Godzi after he wasn't doing it. Cause I, he would wake me up once in a while and he'd go pee. And I knew he wasn't killing these damn bugs and, and it seemed to be working. And, uh, so then I asked him about, it. he's like, Wes, I can't do it. I can't stop a heart it's against my religion. I'm like, well, dude, I'm not asking you to do anything against your religion, but like, we're a small team in this tent. And if we don't get some damn sleep, we're going to get hurt. And, uh, you know, we got to try anything we can to hedge our bet here. And, um, it was really funny and I probably won't tell the rest of the story, but yeah, 
let's just say uh, he agreed we needed sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll put it on. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. nice. But yeah. see, that's the Maybe. thing. Those are the things we don't know. We only get to see the, you know, the, the, the sunsets and the 160 kilometers an hour. And, you know, so. well, and back to Abu Dhabi too. If, that thing, I would go do that again because it was so special to me to live through it. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to sleep in the damn sand again. And that hotel that was right by that div, you know, it was like I think it was like a thousand euros or a thousand uh, U.S. dollars a night for a room. Well, it's kind of a huge advantage for these people that are staying there, and the rest of the field, let's say, uh, are not. And I get it. That's it's not about equality. It's about you know a lot of is about what you can write checks for. So, um, but like if I could, if, if they should really align that thing with the cheaper lodging option and, and, uh, still have all the awesome riding, I think they'd, they'd expand that rally. some. they'd make it a little bigger. Yeah. yeah. That, that sounds like a handful. Like, especially like you said, you know, you're trying to get some sleep and you're, you're dealing with the local wildlife. Well, and you're right in the, <laughs> you know, these, these damn carts with these, uh, bell driven automatic transmissions or even these cars or even dirt bikes. It was so loud at Abu Dhabi because we're literally the sleep tents were on top of the the pits. Uh, so all night long, and then the testing all night long is right there. Well, shit, I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, the earplugs plugs weren't cutting at this and that. So the first few nights were horrible. Yeah. And then it's pure exhaustion. Like literally, my phone is ringing when my earbuds are are on my by my head, and my team had to wake me up with all the already like are you coming there they already got their knee pads or knee protection on and their pants up and i'm like holy shit i'm way behind <laughs> time to go <laughs> that was another cool part of like when i realized how close to the end of the rope i was i mean i've never been not the first one up let's say yeah wow yeah. Well, i mean yeah. like you said i mean that's the, the the sign that you know that's uh that, that we're close that the tank's almost not empty yeah. The tank was very low, man. That's awesome. I I, I just like that feeling. So, yeah. yeah, I feel like we haven't talked about Morocco and some of the other stuff like at all. But you know, we. All right, guys. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Weston Carr talking about his Dakar 2024. And very, very excited to share this with you guys. As you can tell, we cut the, the episode a little bit short because, well, we're going to have a round two with this one. I want you guys, we're going to split it up. We'll have another part of this and we'll talk about some of the other rallies and adventures because, like, as he said, the Dakar was kind of the cherry on top. It wasn't the beginning of the story. So looking forward to bringing that to you guys. If you guys are already subscribed and tuned in, awesome. You will get the notifications when the episode goes live. If you're not and you're listening to this, what's stopping you? Don't forget, jump on over to the website, get signed up for the newsletter, and let's get out of here. And remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Looking forward to our next one coming up. Remember, if you are out riding, do not forget to tag us at Chasing Waypoints. Hashtag chasing waypoints. And if you haven't already, get on over to the website, get signed up for the newsletter, the Bivouac, North America's Rally Raid and Adventure Riding newsletter. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's find out what are you guys up to. Let's get you featured. 
If you're a brand and looking to get supported, get some eyeballs, get some ears on your business. Absolutely. Hit us up. Send us a message at podcast at chasing waypoints. But anyway, that is a wrap. Remember, shiny side up. See you guys.